This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Uh, two guests this week, very generous of their of them to give me uh, time on what is very a very, very busy day for them. Howard Beck is a senior writer for Bleacher Report, uh, a longtime prominent NBA voice. You have uh, read his work in the New York Times, Bleacher Report, uh, and listened to him on his very popular podcast, The Full 48. Highly recommend the Fred Van Bleed episode, which is out now. Tim Kawakami is my colleague at The Athletic. He also has his own excellent podcast, The TK Show. Tim Kawakami, um, if... Uh, you are in the Bay Area, one of the uh, most prominent voices in multiple sports in that part of the world. They have both been generous enough to come on this podcast today to talk about their years covering Kobe Bryant, which both of them did for many years in California. And I welcome Howard Beck and Tim Kawakami to the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you for coming on today, guys. I appreciate it. Good to be on. My pleasure. All right, Howard, we will start with you because you're somewhere in Brooklyn while Tim is in Miami, so both of us are screwed with our weather here. So I'll start with you. Um, <laughs> Howard, how long did you cover Kobe Bryant for? And now let's sort of give the listeners a sense of where, I assume it's the LA Daily News, but maybe maybe elsewhere as well. Give, give people a sort of a, t- a sense of time and place, too. Yeah, started covering the Lakers as a beat writer in 1997 and did that, and that was for the LA Daily News, and did that all the way through 2004. So seven full seasons and basically the final seven of the eight Shaq and Kobe seasons. So pretty much the full arc of, of their partnership and those three championships and all the way through them uh, losing to Detroit in the finals. Um, so I, I met Kobe when he was 19 in my first year on the beat. Wow. And Tim, um, when would you have first uh, encountered Kobe Bryant? Well, I encountered him when I was still covering UCLA basketball uh, in the mid to late 90s when he was like pop over there for a workout. And, you know, UCLA is the hub of so many different basketball things. Arntellum hangs out a lot. That became, that was his agent uh, when he broke in. So, I kind of knew him a little bit from that, you know, just chance meetings. Uh, then I covered the Lakers in 1999 and 99-2000, the, the first year they won a championship. So it was those two seasons. I covered them every day. And then some, you know, some passing uh, conversations after that when I was in San Jose. I moved up to San Jose for that. So uh, a little bit before those two seasons and two seasons. They're pretty two, two intense seasons, as Howard can attest. Uh, those, those, the last season before Phil Jackson, the first season of Phil Jackson. Uh, that's kind of where it was all starting. I'm going to go back to you, Howard. I'm going to ask you guys a lot of open-ended questions because I want you to sort of talk and feel free to expand as much as you want. Uh, Howard, how would you evaluate him as a subject in terms of one, access, and then in two, in terms of sort of letting reporters into his orbit? Yeah, so the, the complicated part of the answer is, is this. Um, there were various phases of Kobe's career. 
20 years, you will go through a lot of phases for anybody. And his career was probably more uh, unusual than most. But when you come in at age 19 and you leave at age uh, 39, 39, was he really 39 when he walked? Oh my gosh. Um, or excuse me, comes in at 17, leaves at 37. I'm thinking of 19 was when he, he was when I got there. Um, it's hard to process math on a day like this. My head is still kind of uh, in the fog. Um, he, he grew up in front of us. I always try to point this out. Kobe, uh, and these guys all do, but especially when you come in at such a tender age, you declared at 17, arrived at 18. Um, there, there was just a lot of growth and evolution and some, some jagged lines within that. So in terms of our relationship as the media, or at least my relationship with Kobe from reporter to player, day one, incredibly approachable, engaging, warm, friendly, curious, um, willing just to have a conversation. And often because back then it was a pre-Twitter era and a lot less media besides, we could just have casual conversations and just kind of shoot the shit, which was great. Um, that doesn't happen much anymore, which is a, a, a damn shame. And, and there's a lot of causes and that's a whole other podcast. But we could just talk and get to know each other without the tape recorder or the notebook. And so there was a lot of that in the first few years. It got dicier, um, you know, the, the year that, that he and Vanessa got together and got married and things got a little tense between Kobe and his agent, Arntellum, Kobe and his family, Kobe and Phil, Kobe and Shaq. And not all of that was, was uh, Vanessa related. Some of that was, the family was. Um, but Kobe started to retreat a little bit in those years. He got a little edgier. Um, and then, you know, of course, you, you, you can't leave out, you know, 2003 and, and being arrested for sexual assault and everything that came with that. And that was obviously a very tense year in its own right for reasons that had nothing to do with basketball. And, you know, I, I think in the years after that, you know, I, 2004, I leave. But now I'm in New York covering the NBA still for The New York Times and still encountering Kobe on occasion. And I found that, you know, especially as he started to to come out of, of that image wise and just getting his life back together and and um, finding his footing again in, in the public sphere. And that's not to minimize any of, of what happened, by the way, I just that's just kind of the trajectory. I, I think there was a time there where he had kind of gotten very cut off from us publicly with media and fans. And I think there was a time that he started to kind of reemerge and, and especially toward the end. And I'll, I'll, this will be the last point I make on this. Those last couple years when he was really engaging, really um, enthused about his, his interactions with the media was willing to talk about just about anything all the time, seemed very personable. And people thought, Oh, this is just his rehab tour. He just wants to go out on a, on a nice note where everybody likes him. No, no, no. That was the real Kobe. That was the kid I met when he was 19 years old back in 1997 and a bunch of stuff happened in between that caused him to retreat. And some of that I think was also just his intense competitive instincts that felt like this is the way I have to climb back to the mountaintop, especially post Shaq. And toward the end, when you saw that warmer version of Kobe come out to me, that was the real one. That Mamba stuff was the facade. What about you, Tim? Um, sort of the same idea. If, how did you find access to Kobe Bryant? And then when you were interviewing him, did you feel like you got through what we all try to get through, which is sort of the, you know, the, the, the initial wall that often separates sometimes from subject to journalist? 
Yeah, I mean, we all go through that. I would just say, I mean, I had a much more narrow slice of this career, uh, which I think was, it was I mean, a hugely important part of his career, like years three and four, uh, when it was really starting to happen for him. Uh, and I think what I always take from it, and, and, and so I didn't have some of those other complicated things. I, again, I'd see him. Uh, maybe it was good. Maybe it wasn't good. It, it, it wasn't pressurized because I wasn't going to be someone writing about him for the LA Times or for Bleacher Report or whatever. I was up in the Bay Area, and he kind of saw that as a different spot. But while I was covering him every day, uh, I think what I was struck by, and I think Howard touched on a little bit, there was an otherness to him that he liked, that he, you know, he was not the guy going to the clubs all the time. He was first of all too young, and then he just wasn't of that. He was going to, he was committed to his career, and he kind of looked at these other guys who might be burning some years at the clubs, burning some years outside, and was exasperated and thought they were that, that was the silly way to go. He was going to be, you know, he was going to be the greatest player of all time, and they weren't. Uh, and he would communicate that there was, yeah, as, as Howard said, there was times I just had conversations with him, and those sorts of things were what he was talking about or, or implying. It's the concentration, it's the focus, it's you know, it's those things that he talked about. And, and as again, Howard said, it was a full circle to the conversations that he would have later in his career, and even in, in retirement. You know, he would do videos on, you know, how to do this, how how these players are doing it, and how I would do it if I was them. And I do see this, like, the, he was an other, you know, uh, separate from the, his peers or these older players. Then over the years, through so many different things in his life and his career, so we kind of bent it back to him. You know, it was all these players who watched him growing up wanted to be him and wanted his advice and sought him out. And I think that was part of the warming of him, too, is he, he, he embraced that, and they embraced him. And we're seeing that certainly in the reaction to, to his death. This, the league isn't – it's stunned and it's grieving like all of us, but it's also these players have lost their idol. And that strikes me from covering him when he was that young to where he wasn't out. You know, He and Shaq were two entirely different people. Shaq was a popular guy amongst the players, and Kobe wasn't for a lot of years. And to, to this experience, to this moment – that's what strikes me. He's not another at all. He's what they all aspire to be in, in many ways. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Howard, one of the things that really struck me over the last uh, 24 hours or so as we taped this on Monday afternoon uh, is how many writers have sort of personal uh, anecdotes and memories with Kobe Bryant. I, you know, our Tim and our colleagues at The Athletic, there's a number of stories up there where uh, writers are sort of reflecting on their interactions with Kobe. I've certainly read this at the L.A. Times. I've read this uh, in your piece on Bleacher Report. Um, how do I want to ask this? I, I mean, how much of that was 
and I'm not necessarily saying this in a pejorative way, but how much of that was calculating in terms of trying to curry favor with the national and local press? And how much you think that was Kobe Bryant enjoying the back and forth between media and subject? You know, if people want to say that this is a naive um, uh, 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 assessment, they can. I never perceived it that way. Not from day one when I first met him, not at the end. Um, I didn't think he was calculating, cultivating Machiavellian in that way. Um, There can always be some of that, right? Especially in the media environment we live in now, I think... You know, there are any number of prominent athletes, probably coaches and GMs and agents, too, uh, who can see the value in cultivating a constructive relationship with a reporter or several reporters or maybe, you know, uh, being as available as possible in the hope that it gets them a little bit more latitude. Like, that's possible. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist or doesn't occur, but I think with Kobe in particular, it's because I, I'm still viewing him through a prism of, of 1997 in a much different media environment and with a kid who had no reason. You know, the, the Shaq-Kobe stuff hasn't really started in, in earnest yet. It's, there's not a, a, a feud yet, at least not of the scale that we would eventually see it. There's no other controversy yet. He's just a, 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 a 19-year-old coming off the bench trying to find his way. And I think, you know, I, I, I was just someone who was easy for him to talk to. I might've been one of the, I might've been the youngest beat writer at at that stage. I mean, I'm 10 years older than Kobe. So I was 29 um, at the time that I meet him, but I I think some of the others who were the the beat writers at that time were, were even a little bit older. I don't know. I just, I, I found him easy to connect with. And so I think I've always just viewed it as this was just Kobe being a a guy who enjoyed the one-on-one. He was in a lot of ways introverted, but that, for him, that meant like he wasn't a guy who wanted to be at the parties and the clubs and everything else. He didn't like big groups. He wasn't like Shaq, who was always life at the party, but that he did like the one-on-one interactions and to discuss all kinds of, we talked about like commercials he made. We talked about just random stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I always saw it as, as genuine. If people want to view it as being something else, I understand it. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's what it was. I think he truly enjoyed it. Tim, I want to ask you, um, I want to just sort of sort of posit something here and then get your take on it because you're in California. I know you're not based in L.A., but you're certainly closer than Howard and I at the moment to offer some kind of perspective on this. But, you know, I think there's a number of reasons why this death really has great impact on so many people. One, Kobe Bryant is, is just, he's one of the most famous people or was one of the most famous people on the planet. If you just sort of step back and think to yourself, you know, in the sports world, there's not many more, you know, Messi or Ronaldo, maybe, maybe Usain Bolt, you know, but, you know, Jordan, but there's just, there's not many more. And then if you get to the sort of entertainment world, maybe there's a couple there like Madonna or a couple of the people, you get to the political world, obviously world leaders may be more well-known than Kobe Bryant, but the sheer magnitude of his fame, I think is, is, is really, really huge. Secondly, he dies at 41, and we'll never see Kobe Bryant old. We'll, he'll always be young in our minds in the way Princess Diana remains young or Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin, and I think that has significant imp- impact on people. And then third, and this is a hard one for any of us who have children, the fact that he died with his child there and, and his daughter doesn't have a chance to grow 
grow up and grow old is just really, really painful. Not to mention, obviously, the seven other people on that helicopter. So I'm wondering, just Tim, from your sense, like this feels to me like this isn't a two-day story. Like this is something that's going to, I feel like, last in the news cycle for a while um, and probably exacerbated by the fact that the NBC, NBC, NBA season is not nearly done and we'll, be, we'll have reminders of Kobe Bryant. Um, I don't really have a question, Tim. I just want you to sort of follow up on that thought process. Well, I'm here at the Super Bowl, obviously. Huge, huge deal. Uh, biggest sporting event of the year. And it's Kobe Bryant. I mean, that's what opening night, we're gonna, I'm about to go to it now, and it's going to be the topic opening night. I can't imagine it not being. Uh, it's going to be discussed here for three, four more, five, six, I, I don't know how many more days. That, that's the scope of this, no questions, the scope of it nationally, internationally. I do go, I mean, someone mentioned this, like, it feels like for this generation, John Lennon dying. And, and I initially said, I don't really feel that, but I, I can get some of it now more and more. It's a generational thing. It's a, you know, it feels like part of history is gone. Uh, things that could have, you know, Kobe could have done, things that John Lennon could have done with the rest of their lives. You feel that loss, too. Uh, you feel the loss of their family. I, I, I get some of that. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but I get that drama of it. I, I immediately flashed to Magic Johnson announcing that, that he was HIV positive when we didn't know what that meant at the time as, a, as another one of those moments. And it's a, just amazing to me that it's a Lakers, the, you know, the two possibly greatest Lakers of all time involved in these stories. Uh, but it's also, you know, has so many other, the sports issue. I think sports has become such a drama now, right? I mean, we talk about it. It's the Twitter drama. It's the yelling back and forth drama. It's whatever you want to say. And for this story to drop in the middle of it, for this tragedy to be, at the top of every cycle uh, is is what's to me hits home that there there couldn't be a bigger story. I couldn't. I mean, there always could be. I can't think of it. And that is Kobe Bryant. That it's on the week of the Super Bowl. That just strikes me because I'm here at the Super Bowl, and there is no other story really. There isn't. Maybe there will be on Wednesday or Thursday, but there isn't now. And that's a pretty large phenomenon just to think about, you know. And I can't. I can't write a story that isn't about Kobe Bryant for a day or two. I can't do it. And I, and I would imagine a lot of people are thinking the same. I see something, you know, on NFL Network, and they're not talking about Kobe Bryant. I say, why? Why, why aren't you talking about Kobe Bryant? Um, it's all the elements you brought up. I'm, pr- I'm sure there's others, too. But I, I just, uh, I am hit by that. I was hit by that yesterday when the, when the news broke. I was, you know, going to the media center and thinking, why am I going to the, the Super Bowl media center? It's the biggest game of the year, obviously. Board Enter fans have been waiting for this. It doesn't matter right now. Uh, that's how I'm struck by this. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, a couple more here, guys. Howard, um... One of the parts of Kobe Bryant's legacy, of course, is the what happened in Eagle, Colorado. Uh, to sort of give a, a very sort of bare-bones background, Kobe Bryant was 24 at the time. He's charged with one count of felony assault, 
It took 14 months for that criminal case to be resolved. The accuser decided not to testify. Prosecutors dropped the case. There was a civil suit brought by the accuser um, that was settled out of court. And um, Kobe Bryant apologized publicly, although one can be subjective about how they felt about the apology. But there was never a trial. But that um, that sexual assault case remains part of Kobe Bryant's uh Legacy remains part of his history. In your opinion, Howard, when people are talking about Kobe Bryant now, when people are writing about Kobe Bryant now, how should reporters deal and address with the sexual assault case in Eagle, Colorado? This is going to sound evasive um, and maybe not satisfying for your listeners or even for you. I, I, I can't, I can't say what, what anybody should think about that or how anybody should write about that. Um, how anybody should contextualize uh, that. It, it, it's, it's a really difficult um, chapter and, and, a, and a difficult one to, to properly and sensitively address in a way that, that, that meets, you know, every, everyone's expectations and especially um, at this moment in time. I, I just think that, that everyone's going to come to that, um, that story with their own perceptions and their own judgments and, and that's fine. Um, I, I just, I, 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 there is no should in other words, um, everybody should be sensitive to the fact that yes, something happened and it was probably something, you know, fairly awful based on all accounts at the time. Um, but you know, it, it's given that there was no trial, given that this was settled, that the civil suit part of it was settled out of court, um, given that there's been no no new information on that in you know however many years it's been, I, I think it's it's difficult to uh, to judge it, and and some people will anyway, and they'll judge it as harshly as they believe is is warranted, and I I understand it, I just think there is somewhat of a, of a lack of clarity that to me makes it very difficult to uh, to to tackle with any. Um, with any certainty. Tim, I want to ask you sort of a, a journalistic uh, question about this um, because, you know, we all are on social media. Um, we're all very active. Uh, Tim Kawakami, I think, has blocked more people than me and you, Howard, so he has that uh, going for him there. But one of the things, Tim, I know you saw because I know Howard saw and I saw it too, was there was a massive, massive... Um, Dis- disagreement's not the right word, but a massive split on those who um, would say now is not the time to discuss what happened in Eagle, Colorado, meaning yesterday in terms of any kind of um, uh, memoirs, obituaries, pieces. There were then others who are were on the other side who were like, how dare you not address this in your piece? You are doing nothing more than glorifying a sports star. So one of the equations, Tim, that's changed on all this, and and again, we now live in a social media universe where you get all these opinions from readers where if you were writing the story in 1993, you know, you get some letters to the editor or something like that, but, you know, you don't, you don't have any kind of real-time feedback. And again, I'm not saying what side, you know, it, the individual will determine for their purposes whether they are happy with you doing this or not, but that was one thing that I found that was really, really interesting was it was just, you could find passionate people arguing for multiple things yesterday. 
Yeah, you know, I thought there would be more. I, I know I didn't make. Uh, I was pretty busy yesterday, so I really wasn't looking. Maybe I, I should have looked some more. I didn't see. I thought there would be some blowback. I, I knew the the stories and the memories would be mostly fun. It's a it's a tragic death, and if you're a responsible writer, you you, you try to handle it as deftly as you can. You know, there were other people who died in that crash, and it probably wasn't the time yesterday or the day after to start you know, litigating out his, his exact legacy, uh, his morality, or any of those things. I think we're writing about the effect. We're writing about the influence. We're writing about, you know, the power of the, of the fandom and of, of what he did. I didn't see a lot of blowback, though. I thought I would, or I thought I'd see it today. I didn't. Maybe I wasn't looking the right places or the wrong places, however you want to characterize it. I do feel, especially in a tragedy that involves other people, other people's lost lives, that that is not the moment to start a debate over it. It's not. That there's a moment to reflect on lives, on careers, and, and those thousands upon thousands of people who are, you know, grieving and going to the sites and, and who, who feel an authentic, genuine loss for something that we all know is there. We all can feel it. We don't have to agree what it is, but we know it's there. And I, I didn't see as much blowback because I know there were a few tweets and there. Washington Post reporter got suspended for for retweeting something, whatever it was. But I think the, we talk about sixty percent of sixty five percent. That's a huge majority of people were feeling the same way most of us are feeling. It's a tragedy. Let's reflect on that. And if there are other things to discuss, there's other things journalists to get into. Let's get into it a little bit later. It doesn't have to be all said right now. Howard, one of the things that uh, that really struck me, I think this is from your piece, um, was. Uh, Kobe Bryant sort of chastising you that you were not going to be, was it, you're not going to be at his final game? Was that, am I, did, do I have that right? Yeah. All right, so you have, a, yeah. you have a great, I have it here. Yes. You have a great sentence in here where he goes, this is Kobe Bryant talking, what he bellowed with a glare and a smile. You can't be here at seven, you can't be here at 17 and not, well, I think he meant you can be here at 17 and not be here for fucking 37, man. He smacked, he smacked me on the chest with the back of his hand. Come on, man, finish the journey, man. Um, which is really a, a great uh, paragraph given your story arc with Kobe Bryant. I wonder just as a writer, maybe this has happened to you elsewhere, but it, um, it has to be both surreal, Howard, and sad for you to have covered a player um, who is younger than you for the arc of their career, but yet you're not going to be able to sort of cover his last act which really probably for Kobe Bryant, I think would have been his best act. I mean, not to sort of, you know, I didn't, I've never talked to Kobe Bryant. I don't know, but it did strike me at least from afar that he really loved being a dad and he loved his daughters. And he was so much now about their sort of their journey and not his journey. And his journey was going into places away from sports. So I just, you know, I just, I wonder as a writer, Howard, you know, you want to, especially those you cover who are younger than you, you want to sort of be around for the last act and none of us are going to be around for whatever Kobe Bryant's last act would be. Yeah. Listen, I think we were seeing uh, not necessarily Kobe's last act as, as we, as we would have perceived it in real time, but certainly the next act after his career. And a lot of guys have no second act, right? They, they finish their careers. They, just kind of, you know, fade into the horizon and that's it. Maybe you hear from him again occasionally. Maybe you don't. Um, some guys just, you know, they're going to TV or coaching something else. But plenty of guys just, just 
go and that's it. They, they've had their time and they're fine with just moving on and, 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 and leaving the spotlight. Uh, Kobe clearly loved the spotlight on, on some level because he chose a post NBA career in media, in film and books and all kinds of other uh, avenues that allowed him to stay in the spotlight and to keep spreading his, his own, um, you know, views and, and thoughts on storytelling and on basketball and all, all kinds of things. And besides that, he stayed very attached to the game by playing mentor to so many of, of today's NBA stars, uh, Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum and, and, and countless, countless others, so many guys who looked up to him. And so his second act was as, as mentor as you know, as as this this font of, of basketball wisdom, as uh, you know, as as media, uh, I don't know if mogul is quite the right word, but as as, as burgeoning you know, uh, media person, um, as a, as a as a writer and creator, all of these things, and so and then and as you mentioned, very much as family man and as you know, uh, you know, affectionate father to to his four daughters, and. That was the second act we were seeing, and there was a lot more to go, clearly. I mean, more stories that he would want to tell, I'm sure, more films to make, um, a, a lot of uh, you know, youth basketball games to attend with his daughters and, and all kinds of things. And so you know, I, I think more about just the tragedy of all that being cut short, more so than I think about you know, what, what the next part of that story would be from, from my standpoint and, and what else I could could write about him. I, it did, it did hit me that, you know, this was his first year of eligibility for the hall of fame, the basketball hall of fame. Um, it's obvious he was going to be automatically, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, in, you know, uh, um, uh, not inducted, but, but you know what I mean? Uh, he, he was going to, he was going in, it was automatic. He and Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, it's going to be one of the all time flashiest, most incredible hall of fame classes. And it, it did hit me at some point, like, my gosh, he's like, that moment won't, won't come. Like the, he will be inducted, but he will be inducted posthumously at 41 is, is just a devastating thought um, among many, many devastating thoughts in this whole saga. Um, and so that was a chapter I definitely had thought about. I had thought about being in Springfield and covering that moment, having been there for, for a lot of, of his career um, so yeah, that, that part I thought about, um, the rest of it was just, just kind of interesting to see from across the country, you know, where he would take all of this next. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's, it's just so just devastatingly sad to, to, to think about all, all the, all the, the possibilities lost. Last one for me, Howard, if, um, if you could, if you had 15 more minutes with Kobe Bryant, what would you want to talk about with him? Oh, Wow. Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, a couple times over the years, you know, we would intersect in a hallway here or there at an arena or something and, and just chit chat. And, um, you know, my, my daughter is, is, uh, 14 now. So just between his two oldest daughters, um, obviously, you know, Gianna was, you know, 13 and, and, and killed obviously in that, in that crash. Um, so we would talk about, fatherhood we talk about our daughters and um just kind of check in on each other on, on that that personal level in these very sometimes very brief meetings as as you know the lakers were coming through new york or as i bounced through there 
Um, and those were fun conversations to have because even though, again, I've, I've got a few years on him, our, our, our parenthood um, arc was, was kind of overlapping or simultaneous. And so it was, it was, you know, there was just a, a, another connection there for us. Um, so I think, I think we, we, you know, if we had 15 minutes, we'd probably chat about that a little, maybe compare some parenting notes. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I never really got a chance these last couple of years. We talked a few times about some basketball stuff, some NBA stuff, stories I was working on, but I never really got a chance to ask him about his writing and just being, you know, a, a, a creative force. Um, and it's such a fascinating thing. Cause obviously like that's my chosen profession. Like I have not made films, but I, I you know I've been writing for a long time and, uh, it's interesting to be almost like a peer in that regard to talk writer to writer instead of writer to basketball star. And that's a conversation that would have been really interesting to have that, uh, just, just never, just never got that opportunity. Um, or maybe I didn't, didn't uh, seek out that opportunity and, and now wish I had, uh, and there's, you know, look, I, I, if I open my notebook, there's probably a dozen or two dozen stories about the NBA trends and players and reflections and all kinds of things that if I could hit him up for every single one of those stories, I would, you know, you, you, you use it sparingly when you're trying to, to, you know, somebody like him who is, can be very generous with his access, but is also very much in demand. And so you don't overdo it. Uh, would have loved to have had him on my podcast one of these days. Uh, I think I threw that out a couple of times over the last couple of years, like, Hey, by the way, um, but I never really pressed it that hard because, again, I know how just the, the immense demands on him and how many people want a, a piece of him and want his voice. Um, and so I, I tried to be respectful of that and not, not hit him up too often. But, um, yeah, there's, there, there's, it would be more than 15 minutes. I could have I I used a few hours. Howard Beck is a senior writer at uh, Bleacher Report. He, um, as he's noted on this podcast, uh, covered Kobe Bryant for some for an incredible run during Bryant's career. He's also the host of his own podcast, The Full 48. Like Howard, Tim also hosts his own podcast. That is called The TK Show. And you could hear that uh, within The Athletic. Uh, Tim, during this podcast, uh, he's in Miami, very, very busy, so he had to run. So I will be able to say goodbye in person to Howard. Howard, listen, man, I know you're, uh, you've are had a busy day. A lot of people have called on you, and rightly so, to uh, – uh, offer some thoughts and observations about Kobe Bryant. So I appreciate you coming on today, which has been a very busy day. Thanks so much for joining me on the uh, Sports Media Podcast. And again, there will be a time where me and you will finally have our um, our debate over Harry Ellis on Die Hard and whether he is a worse man or a better man than Richard Thornton. <laughs> we will get to that one of these days, Richard. One of these days. And thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Howard Beck and Tim Kawakami for coming on on very, very busy days for them. But we wanted to do something on Kobe Bryant to get out fairly quickly. Um, and so I appreciate their time. Uh, if you like these kind of conversations, please head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. Go through our archives. Prior to this podcast, uh, still very fresh, the producer and director of uh, the Super Bowl 54, Richie Zients and Rich Russo from Fox, and they take you behind the scenes on what their week will be like and, uh, and how to direct and produce a Super Bowl. So hopefully you'll find that interesting. Among the uh, recent guests, Jalen Rose of ESPN, Adam Amin of ESPN, Jim Ross of uh, AEW and the iconic uh, wrestling uh, broadcaster. 
Uh, and then just head down the, uh, the episodes list. I think you'll find some stuff there that you like. Uh, as always, great job by Patrick Antonetti putting this one together. My thanks to uh, the whole crew at Cadence 13, from Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, to John McDermott, to uh, Sean Cherry. And this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.